This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hello, I'm Russ Matthews. And I'm his Lego superhero, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 126 of The Big Picture for the week beginning September 25 and coming up on today's show. Get the bricks out. It's time for the Lego Ninjago movie. We take a look at a new TV show with autism as the star. And Steve Carell and Emma Stone begin the battle of the sexes. Well, hello and welcome. As you probably tell, we've actually got our guest reviewer, Russ Matthews, sitting in the big chair for Ben McKenna. Love being here. Yes, and so do we sorry ben it was a trade-up what can we say <laughs> wow. no, ben, ben's away on holidays and sam thank you for for holding the fort as always I, I, you know i'm the constant here aren't i pressing the buttons <laughs> i turn on russ's microphone so we're going well so far that's good but uh, russ tell us what's coming out at the movies this week well this week we have from the 1990 film julia roberts and kiefer sutherland from flatliners is brought back from the dead in flatliners Okay, so they're remaking. The remaking Flatliners. And it's also, it's all about tenets, chauvinism, and the historical impact of the Battle of the Sexes. Oh, okay, looking forward to that one indeed. And in the small screen, uh, tomorrow night on the ABC, here's something on Catalyst. Sit back, <laughs> relax, the dawn of the driverless car. Are you looking forward to the driverless car? Uh, I kind of like everyone's yeah. a bit apprehensive. Uh, I'm not sure. I really like still like driving the stick shift. Well, <laughs> tomorrow night, eight thirty p.m. Tune into Catalyst, and basically they do a whole special on the driverless cars that are coming up. Personally, I actually have a son who has disability, and probably because of his eyes, will never be able to drive mm. unless hey. something like Google's driverless car comes to the rescue. So I'm mm. kind of interested. In yeah, this. that's cool. I also uh, on uh, Stan, we actually have a ten-part series starting, which I'm thrilled about. Electric Dreams. Uh, I mentioned this a few weeks back. It's by it's all these sort of short stories made by the uh, author uh, Philip K. Dick. Uh, mm. It's a series of science fiction worlds. You know, he's the guy who did Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minor, Minority Report. Just a few, just, small just a films. few little films few, out there. Few well, this is a TV series based on his work. It's looking fantastic. It is streaming now on stands. So you can go check that out. Very cool. All right. Well, look uh, later in the show. Mark's going to review the Battle of the Sexes. This new film. Uh, starring Emma Stone, Steve Carell. Right. Right. So, Russ, you're going to challenge us with a true or false question about Emma Stone. About Emma Stone and sports, interestingly enough. Okay. Emma Stone stars opposite Steve Carell in the film play... Playing the the role of Billie Jean King, the famous um, tennis number one, and she found that getting in shape for the whole role was exceptionally challenging. And she also came from a pretty traumatic sporting experience growing up. So, what do you think really happened to her? A did she get knocked unconscious snowboarding in Colorado when she collided with another 15-year-old girl? Oh, okay. Scarring. Yeah. B, did she fracture her vertebra- vertebrae playing high school basketball? Or C, did she break both of her arms at once when she was doing gymnastics as a kid? So, knocked unconscious, broke her back, or um, broke both arms. Broke both arms. Gosh, they any one of those really would be painful. enough. Yeah, <laughs> painful. All pretty traumatic. Oh, and now we'd like you to do a sporting film. Yeah, exactly. Why, Why not? not? Right. So, and the answer is coming later. All right. Well, let's talk about this because it's shaping up to be a great holiday break for kids. We had Captain Underpants come out and then the Emoji Movie. You can check out our podcast if you missed those film uh, reviews. But this week sees the release of the Lego Ninjago Movie. What? You say another one? 
Yes, that's right. It's the second Lego movie released this year after her successful outing for the Lego Batman movie in March, which, in my opinion, was awesome. <laughs> this time around, this story con- uh, concentrates on Lego's Ninjago universe, which is a cross between modern America and ancient Japan with supersized robots thrown in for good measure. And at the heart of the story is a young teen named Laloid <laughs> who's struggling with what it means to have a disappointment as a father. Students, a true ninja knows when to fight and when to blend in the shadows. Unbelievable. Okay, Dave Franco voices Lloyd, or Lloyd, depending on how you want to say it, a teenage boy who's struggling with his double identity. When he's when the city's in crisis, he becomes the heroic green ninja, uh, and then together with the rest of his team, he's hailed as a hero. However, during the day, he attends a local high school, uh, and he's constantly despised because he's the son of the evil warlord Garmadon. That would make sense. Yeah, I know. So you can see how <laughs> you just don't like... Well, actually, there's a little bit of pun going on because Lord Garmadon and Lloyd Garmadon. Anyway, so Lloyd has no real relationship with Dad, though, so to speak, because his mum and Garmadon separated when he was still a baby. So when they finally face off, it's not so much good versus evil as, you know, family confrontation. <laughs> um, and the quest, you know, for the ultimate, ultimate weapon is what's put in front of them as to whether or not they'll actually be able to, you know, save the world and save their relationship. Not the ultimate weapon, I might add, but the ultimate, ultimate weapon. The ultimate, ultimate yes. weapon. Okay, now, I'm really curious, Mark. Okay, the Lego movie was huge. And then came the Lego Batman movie, which obviously one of Sam's favourites. Mm. But... Is this one really as good? Well, I, I don't think it's as any worse. You know what I'm trying to say is like after, <laughs> by the third film, you, you expect these franchises to start running down, um, and then maybe they rediscover themselves somewhere in the fifth or the sixth or something like that. But um, this is really good. Look, the okay. CG animation they, they do actually a strange combination of both um, uh, CGI animation plus um, stop an- a stop motion animation plus. Uh, you know, there's just a whole bunch of sort of techniques all being melded together, and the result is beautiful. It just looks really good. It's also a mixture of live action again. So Jackie Chan actually appears in this one. Oh. He's this shopkeeper, and then he voices um, uh, uh, Sensei Wu, if you know the characters. And there's the same mixture of humor and stuff that I think both parents and kids, there's this brilliant moment, parents, you'll love this. Um, so Sensei Wu is leading them off into the jungle with a flute and starts playing Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> you know, it's like there's little things like that that kids are never going to get. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's plenty of things for the whole family, I think, in that front. Now, okay, but what's interesting, with listening to your whole intro and also even listening to the trailer there, it, it's essentially a movie about a broken family, though, right? Yeah, that is that's very much the point. I mean, I actually think this is a very big step uh, because we've often had heroes um, with troubled backgrounds in films. Um, we've had them with dead parents, you know, like in Big Hero 6, or missing parents like Kung Fu Panda, um, but we have not had divorced parents. And, mm. Or if we've had, they're off the scene altogether. Um, and now, But we've actually got the divorced parents in this film Plus the kid. This is actually a big thing. Um, and it's particularly because I think Lego is cognizant of the fact that most of the audience will not need an imagination to work out both Lloyd's 
angst and anger towards even a villainous father, you know, the, the desire to have a relationship at the same time to be disappointed and angry. I mean, you've got in Australia alone, 47% of all divorces involve kids. Right. You know, and if so, the, the magnification of that is that every child, um, if they do not know, are not in a broken family of some form, know someone who is, mm-hmm. you know, and so that whole idea is very, very up in the public consciousness. So I think it's amazing that Lego's made that the centre um, for their character's background, back hmm. history. Wow. Uh, and resolving that, well, how they go about it, is is interesting, yeah. Yeah. This is What's also interesting about this film is it's set in an Eastern context. Uh, does Sensei Wu have any lessons to pass oh, on yes. to oh, us? Oh, Sensei Wu. Um, yeah, he does, and most of them are stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm not trying to say... Uh, I'm not trying to reflect badly on thousands of years of culture but rather that the pop culture version of Eastern mysticism gets a real outing. Um, and in, in the end, um, you know, I'm quite happy to spoil this a little bit here. Um, Not think, another Mark Hadley spoiler. <laughs> yet another one. Oh. Uh, look, when they come down to the ultimate, ultimate weapon, um, they have to invent a new element to explain the green ninja. Um, and so, you know, you've got the red ninja is representing fire and the blue ninja is representing water, etc., etc., etc. And they finally come to the green ninja and the green ninja is representing... Green, you know, which, is, which is the force that comes from the environment which binds all things together. Uh, and I just thought... Spoiler alert. Oh, You've got to say, uh, it, was, it was as lame as it went. Uh, but look, one of the things I thought that was kind of interesting wasn't the Eastern philosophy, it was the Western philosophy. Just the idea that even though they're very, very cognizant of how selfishness uh, it can destroy families and how... Um, even the best intentioned parents, if they face in on themselves and say, well, I want what I want, that's actually going to be destructive for everybody involved. Um, they have no compunctions and still pushing right at the end the idea of be all you can be. And they don't see the irony that if you are actually pursuing individualism on one hand, that is actually one of the most destructive forces in a family mm. or in a relationship. So, look, it is great fun. I think it's probably the best children's film out there at the moment. Mm. But I think the weird thing is you still have to combat that idea of being all you can be, justifying you as a person as if somehow that has no effect on everybody else. All right. The Lego Ninjago movie opened last Thursday, September 21. It's rated PG for mild animated violence and stars Jackie Chan, Dave Franco, Olivia Munn and Justin Theroux. Sid Cinemas now. That's right. Hey, thanks for the review, Mark. And also, if you enjoy that review, you can go ahead on over to one of our friends and sponsors, Insights Magazine. You'll find um, similar reviews from Russ Matthews. Oh, that's me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's actually me. And at insights.uca.org.au. Yeah, we love the guys over at Insights. Now, why don't you actually finish torturing us with your Emma Stone fact and tell us. Now, as I remember, we were trying to work out whether or not Emma Stone was traumatised in her sporting thing by... Either she was knocked unconscious... Uh, either she by had, a snowboarder, or, yep, mm. by a snowboarder. Did she fracture her vertebrae playing high school basketball, or did she break both of her arms at once when she was doing gymnastics as a kid? B, B. I'm, no, no, no. I'm going for both broken arms. Both broken I've arms. I've seen kids do that. Oh, I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> okay. it's a lot easier than it looks. Well, you'd be surprised, but it is C. Yes, it ah. is. She actually did break both ah. of her arms at once doing doing gymnast gymnastics because her teacher let her go while she was on the high bar. She re- relived this terrifying moment <laughs> years later when dancing with Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Uh-huh. Gosling had to lift her above his head and she was so scared that she fell on him and she 
says she scratched him like a frightened possum. Ah. Uh, yeah, so she you, broke both you, arms. Don't you love it when a sporting teacher says, no, 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 I'm sure you can do this. That's sure. <laughs> Coming up on the big picture, a toe-tapping beat from British spy flick Kingsman, plus probably the most unusual TV hero for the year. Welcome back. Here we are at the soundtrack segment for the big picture this week, and we figured, look, one of the big releases of this week is Kingsman, The Golden Circle. It's the sequel to Kingsman, The Secret Service. So the first instalment was actually quite big for its soundtrack. It starred Taron Egerton and Colin Firth, and it was a mashup of quite polite British manners and much more modern elements. So the soundtrack included this week's soundtrack choice from KC and the Sunshine Band. Sunshine Band, iconic song, if you like, from uh, the disco era, or was it? Basically, it was the last gasp of the disco era. Came out in the 1983 when most of the world was reacting against disco, sort of moving into the David Bowie sort of realm of electronica and all that sort of stuff. But it managed to rise as high as number 18 in the US and number three in Australia, because we've always loved disco more. Of course. But not as much as the Brits, where it went to number one. Now, Give It Up, despite being instantly recognisable, has actually only appeared in one film. Which is, in fact, Kingsman the Secret Service. Wow. You know, where it's heard when the villain Richmond Valentine, is a sort of freaky fellow, yeah. um, played by uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson um, it, when he actually he activates the infamous V-Day program, this is the song that starts playing. So we'll be giving you lots more from the Kingsman next week when we review The Golden Circle. Sam Gardner is like most hormonal 18-year-old boys. He wants a girlfriend. But this is more problematic for him than other awkward teens because Sam experiences life on the autism spectrum. How will Sam's romantic pursuit affect everyone in his world? This week, Russ is going to take a look at the uh, more-than-typical family drama from Netflix called Atypical. There are strategies I could teach him. I'm not a little kid anymore. I can do things. Strategies are when you get your heart broken. Sometimes I wish I was normal. Hey, dude, nobody's normal. Your son has the same desire to be loved that we all do. Paige? Why shouldn't he pursue it? 
family is fragile. Everything is Sam this and autism that. Maybe it's time for you to have your own life. Whoever first said... The story of Atypical is a very real experience here for many families here in Australia. One out of every 100 people are on the autism spectrum. About... 230,000 people I found this interesting. So really this story, the concept of Atypical is very original and intriguing. It draws the audience in every single episode. The writing is creative, but does not really kind of bring us to a typical or predictable way of kind of finishing each one of the shows. I really kind of came away from this show, Atypical, uh, with a love-hate relationship for the show. There's quite a bit to celebrate, but there's a fair bit to consider with caution. Well, I'm kind of intrigued, actually. I mean, as listeners know, um, our family has developmental disability as part of it, and so I really want to celebrate with everybody else the idea that we're actually looking at a drama for this. What, what do you love about the show? I mean, I really love about the show is one is that, that some of the characters, uh, the Kier Gilchrist character is Sam. He, he really manages to encapsulate the persona of someone with the, on the autism spectrum. I myself, too, have we have family members who actually are on the spectrum, and you can definitely see the challenges that they face, and I think that Kier really manages to encapsulate kind of that personality without kind of minimizing or making it too comical. I tend to see kind of like in the Big Bang Theory and different things like that. Also, um, his sister um, Casey is a great role as far as showing kind of the appreciation of a kind of the ripple effect that this sort of scenario has on the family. Is she the sort of like the underappreciated? Yeah, she's actually the high high achieving, high achieving teenager who, um, but actually is not really thought of too much by her parents because Sam really gets all of the attention in so many different ways. But probably one of my favorite characters of the whole film though is Jenna Boyd is is, uh, Sam's girlfriend and Michael Rappaport as Sam's father. They really play, really kind of bring the heart element to this whole thing, really showing the innocence of it, but also they really are able to kind of portray the humanity in it. I guess my struggle with this series is that often when uh, you have TV shows, you know, showcasing, if you like, various medical conditions, they kind of risk trivializing the people Mm. and the facts just to make it simpler for TV. Uh, Do the creators keep the, I guess, the depth, the nuance, the whole idea of of being on the spectrum? I think that's one of the, the things I really like about the show is that they're very respectful. They do not make Sam's autism the central issue of the humor in any ways. Um, oh, so but they're not making jokes about his autism. No, I mean jokes of course, uh, of course happen because yeah, of the awkward life. scenarios yeah. that happen which actually happens in everybody's life. It doesn't matter what sort of experience you're having. But And there are a few laughs that are kind of maybe kind of try... There are a few laughs without berating, minimizing, or the impact of autism on the family. It really has a realistic view, but what, probably one of the things I really like about it is the ripple effect. In the sense that sometimes we tend to show the the person in kind of a vacuum, the the whole situ- scenario with autism occurring in their lives, but really it's showing the ripple effect it has on the family, specifically how it, it causes isolation for many of them, especially the mother in particular. Russ, at the top of your review, you mentioned that you've got a love-hate relationship with this show. Uh, did you really hate certain aspects of Atypical? Well, the thing was about it is I was watching this show and I really enjoyed so many aspects of it, but there were some things that just made just were so cringeworthy, not because of necessarily the writing, it's just that it's really hard to watch the realism that occurred. And specifically, the one, the one role specifically was the role of Elsa, the mother who's played exceptionally well by Jason, Jennifer Jason Lee. 
And but she begins she begins not with giving away too many spoilers, but she begins a relationship outside of the family, uh, and it really ends up kind of being an element that you can understand and maybe sympathize with, but you don't necessarily want to celebrate in any way that you want to. Also, you know, it really kind of goes down another path with Sam's friend and relationship manager, as he is, his name's Saheed, um, who is really is probably painfully close to the experience of a teenage boy and getting advice from another teenage boy. And so they have a tendency to kind of open up the door to a whole bunch of different sexual orient, uh, oriented issues that probably are really not appropriate for younger audiences. And I probably oh, Okay, would... so does that lock it out really for kids, you know, in teen years or would you say they're still able to watch it? I would probably say the younger younger teens, early high school, I wouldn't re- necessarily recommend this for, uh, mainly because of a lot of the content, is mainly with the mother more than even the even the uh, the friend relationship. I mean, what's sad about it is that this show really should be something that should give opportunity for families that are struggling with this sort of a scenario, but yet I think would definitely lock it out in that way. Oh, okay. Well, you can tune into the unique world of Atypical starring Michael Rappaport and Jennifer Jason Lee on Netflix right now. Well, not right now, don't right now, but I mean, you know, you understand what we're saying. <laughs> anyway, this show is rated M for sexuality, nudity, and language, so a bit of caution there, but otherwise, sounds like a really deep piece. Coming up on the big picture, Steve Carell and Emma Stone are in the battle of the sexes, plus, Russ brings us Hollywood's top five ultimate showdowns. Welcome back. Well, before the break, Russ brought us a review of Atypical, the new Netflix TV show where the hero is an autistic boy looking for love. If you missed his review, uh, check out our podcast after the show. But it's not so long ago uh, now, in fact, that the parents of children with developmental disabilities were encouraged to keep them quietly at home, well away from the public. Well, today we hope we're much more enlightened, accepting those differently abled people around us as valuable members of the community. So for our press record segment this week, we, we sent Mark off to test the temperature with the parents of two autistic boys to find out how much has changed and how much has stayed the same. Liz, Craig, thanks very much for being part of the show. I guess maybe we could start, Liz, you giving us a bit of a sketch of the family? Sure, I'd love to. Yeah, so we have five boys and they range in age from seven through to 17. And of course we have our, our Pepper, our gorgeous new rat bag bigly puppy, because <laughs> there's no end of stress in our family sometimes. We have two boys that are diagnosed with autism and they are the 17-year-old and the 14-year-old next week. Craig and I, we're both full-time teachers. Craig's in the high school and I'm in the primary school. Okay, well, what sort of struggles do you particularly have to deal with with your boys? When they come home, they want to do two things. First thing they want to do is relax and forget school. And then, because an autistic brain just focuses and focuses, they need an outlet to sit down and talk to us about their work or their relationships and things like that. So that can take up a fair amount of time. And just so everyone knows as well, uh, the boys are all from a previous marriage. And so uh, I met Liz and she decided to adopt me and the boys and then took the dog on. Why did we take the dog on? Yeah, goodness only knows. (laughs) I have no idea why we took the dog on. Just because you brought that up, I might just ask you about that, Liz. Uh, You actually, you married into a family, look, for want of a better phrase, just like my family, with struggles. Did you think to yourself, oh, I've got this sorted or you're, you know, cognizant of all the struggles ahead? Look, I had no idea what I was in for, but I fell in love with him and I couldn't resist him, so <laughs> it was a job lot. No, no, no. When I first spoke to my mum about Craig and that he had a lot of boys, she, she the first thing she said to me was, praise God, children are an absolute blessing. 
And that helped me a lot, and they have been a blessing every day. A challenge for sure, but an absolute blessing. And I needed to learn plenty of skills along the way, but um, yeah, we, we presume the best in each other and make, make the best of every day as it comes. Well, let's talk about presumptions. One of the shows we've been talking about in our show so far is Atypical and that particular hero boy is on the spectrum. And people make lots and lots of assumptions of what that means. Have you had to counter people's assumptions? Um, Yeah, because I've made plenty of assumptions myself every day, basically. Um, It's really hard for some people to work out how much of the boy's behaviour is directly related to their autism and how much of it's just being a normal teenager. People also presume that that sometimes the boys are being rude and making poor choices, but there's really a lot that they can't control. And I think one of the other things is that people presume they're not smart, that some of the behaviours we see in the boys are very loud and obvious, but there's some really internal characteristics of the boys that just aren't seen by others. Yeah, there are things at the school that the boys found really difficult. and It's a loving Christian school that they go to, but kids are kids. The girls, especially with um, Andrew, they at one point said he was creepy. He was creepy because he would sit down and just look at, at people. It took a long while for the kids to understand that he wasn't looking at them to hurt or harm them. It was just his mind trying to process. So it's counselling Andrew to understand um, what's going on. And he admits it. He says, I know I've got autism. I know I have. That's why I've done this. I wish I could change it, but I can't change it. And he he articulates it exactly like that. And I, I think that's healthy. Yeah. I think it's an incredible level of, of self-insight and intelligence that even many teenagers would struggle to understand your own problems and to be able to apply it to your actions. Gosh, as the kids get older, do the things that they struggle with change? Yes, um, talking birds and bees to kids with autism is easier and harder. It's easier because they get it clinically. It's harder because they have to deal with their emotions um, and appropriateness. That, that, that emotional seesaw, the emotion logic seesaw, can get totally out of whack. Yeah. And we need to work really hard to calm the boys down when they're getting really frustrated and they don't know how to handle the strength of those emotions. Yep, yep. Um, Andrew, again, because uh, he, he's, he's 17, he, he's probably had about two um, outbursts this year. Just He's frustrated and then he'll sit down and go, that was autism, I'm sorry. But then he'll beat himself up. And the thing with kids with autism is whenever they do something, maybe three years ago, two years ago, they'll remember it like it's today. Well, what about what God has done with you over this time? Uh, Has he helped you to change just as the boys have changed? Oh, absolutely. It's been a roller coaster ride um, for both of us, um, but I guess especially for me, I've had to learn a lot of new skills uh, and depend on God's strength to get me through. Uh, God's had to teach me a lot more patience. I've had to learn how to put other people's needs before my own, and it might seem obvious, but for being single for most of 40 years, that has been really hard. I was a single dad. Um, I read the book of Job and I remember uh, praying to God and saying I'm not going to be like Job I'm not going to say that I'm faultless I'm going to trust on my God to get this right and he did absolutely did and these boys are so much better off having both of us in their lives having both of us look after them and I think the fact that that we're both teachers gives us some insight because if you're a primary school teacher for 20 years like Liz you know how to handle kids and she certainly does.
Now, the Battle of the Sexes isn't just a phrase. It was actually a real event that took place in America in Houston in 1973. Bobby Riggs, a former world number one tennis player, claimed that women's tennis was so bad, even a middle-aged man like himself could beat the best female players in the world. He's got some nerve, doesn't he? And he challenged the number one woman at the time, Billie Jean King, to prove him wrong. The movie Battle of the Sexes chronicles that incredible tennis match, but Mark found the film's producers had much more than gender equality in mind. Hello? Eureka, Billie Jean! It's Bobby Riggs. I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy-legged feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. Don't hang up. Uh, By the way, I shaved my legs. Billie Jean King, already a champion of women's rights, is now the most successful female player of all time. I am not saying that women don't belong on the court. Who would pick up the balls otherwise? Oh, my God. There's not a single thing I don't hate about Bobby Riggs. You know what I'm doing? I'm cooking. I'm cooking. I won the triple in Wimbledon. I could beat Billie Jean King. Does she have the nerve? Call Bobby. Tell him it's on well, as we said, Battle of the Sexes is based on a real-life tennis court confront- confrontation between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Now, King, played by Emma Stone, is actually in the middle of battling uh, with the tennis world to try and get professional women tennis players equal pay. A- at that time, they were only getting about an eighth of what the male players wow. were playing for, you know, mm. so awful stuff. America's sporting fans, though, are really divided by the idea. Uh, many are still thinking that equality goes against nature and common sense. And so they're not sure whether or not women are pushing too much. They're calling them libbers. You know, if you remember the term, we're a female um, liberation front. It was just women's libbers. And Bobby Riggs, played by Steve Carell, was one of the world's top tennis players. At 55, he's thinking, I really want back into the thrill of the professional circuit. And so he adopts this amazing chauvinistic, pig sort of uh, persona provoking women with this series of stunts that that are offensive but are hilarious to watch uh, <laughs> and he challenges King and 90 million people tuned in to watch this TV game now if you think about it look 90 million sounds big now but back in the 70s what is that half the viewing population of the planet you know is watching this exactly. TV this match yeah and so the resulting game is part theater part gladiatorial conf- you know conflict and all controversy. It's amazing. Now, you know, I've actually seen the film, and also I've been a tennis fan for years. I don't know, my, my dad and I used to actually watch... We actually skipped church, if you can believe it, and watched oh, Wimbledon confessions together. Confessions on the wow. like, what? Are you allowed to be on this show? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Did you learn anything about tennis? Well, yes. Um, I remember why I hated it. Um, my parents, <laughs> <laughs> my parents um, lovingly told me at some point that either I choose a sport for myself or they would force me to go to a sport. And so for four years, I was the most reluctant tennis player oh, on the planet. Oh. Little Mark Hadley. I know. Yeah. I was forced to go down the courts every Saturday morning when I should have been sleeping in like every good teenager. <laughs> but that said, um, I did learn a lot about the world of tennis and just how much women had to struggle. I mean, they used to get paid dramatically low amounts despite the fact that I was selling exactly the same ticket sales you know, for their right. games. Um, and the idea of the rebel tours that sort of took off. Um, I learned a lot about the private life of Billie Jean King too. So I knew Billie Jean King as a name. What I didn't know was that she actually had a relationship with her hairdresser, uh, Marilyn Barnett. And now King is seduced by this woman. This woman who... 
doesn't seem to mind that King is married because she's got a boyfriend herself. She's clearly um, bisexual in orientation. Um, and that actually becomes the basis for most of the drama of the film, which is kind of a little disappointing because the tennis stuff and the struggle for gender equality I mean, between men and women is so interesting and the whole thing is so entertaining with a character like Bobby Riggs. I couldn't help but feel like we were being dragged off to consider a modern problem, you know, right now, something that's very sort of salacious for people in the 21st century and ignoring what was actually going on then. Okay. So I guess I'm hearing that it kind of starts as a general a gender equality, but then kind of moves to something else completely. Yeah, look, what they deliberately do, and I, I feel like this is a little bit annoying. As a scriptwriter, they do what we call a bait and switch. Um, they tell you or they, they bring you in thinking and feeling for the very real struggle between men and women for equality, which I think any Christian can get behind. I mean, God created us, male and female, um, as equal bearers of his image, okay? So we're we're equal before the eyes of God. Any Christian, any non-Christian can get behind the idea of men and women should be equal. But then they start talking about that and kind of slowly change the language to we're talking about sexual freedom now. Um, you can be anyone you want to be. You can love anyone when you want to love. You can express that sexually any way you like. Now, these are two completely different topics. Gender equality and sexual freedom. Uh, look, I just feel like I was I was trying to get behind one whilst watching the film and really enjoying it and being led somewhere else just because I think the scriptwriters wanted to do that and I found that really hard. You know, it's a, such a selective reading of history because Billie Jean King herself said it wasn't about um, the the battle for uh, sexual freedom. She even though she was um, she came out as a lesbian later. She was saying, look, it wasn't what I was about then. I was about just trying to get freedom for women in the sport. So I think this, the the writers themselves have just taken some real liberties with history to push a common way a, a current wagon. So is it a love story then, Mark? Yeah, look, it is trying to be a love story, but the truth is that it's very much uh, about a a very private matter that's been turned into uh, a public uh, sort of catch cry, uh, the, the relationship between Billie Jean King and Marilyn. And the real struggle, the real problem here is that it even ignores the facts of that relationship to try and make it look rosy and sort of soft focus shot. So Marilyn um, actually, in real life, goes on to sue Billie Jean King for her earnings is a very messy relationship Um, and they leave all of that out of the film instead they make it look like this was the relationship that had to be and it was it was Mm. driven by fate and it was driven by you know a desire to be together but what actually happens is really quite an abusive thing in history and I feel like gosh, guys, I can see you trying to make a case for something, but when you start rearranging the facts to make your case well that's not impressing anyone Right all right, well, Battle of the Sexes sounds uh, like a battle of the definitions, but it's strangely rated PG for mild themes, sexual references, and coarse language. See, someone missed the sex scene in that. There's a sex scene, and I cannot believe that this still got a PG rating. All right, there you go. It opens this Thursday, September 28, and it stars Emma Stone, Steve Carell, Andrea Riseborough, and Australia's Jessica uh, McNamee. Uh, coming up on the big picture, what the Bible has to say about the Battle of the Sexes and Russ's top five ultimate showdowns. Welcome back. 
Now, The Battle of the Sexes isn't just a movie. It's a real live issue today with women still battling for equal rights and pay in many industries. And since we at The Big Picture think that the best place to get a current opinion is from God's Word, we thought we'd ask the CEO of the Bible Society Australia and also a social commentator, Greg Clark, what the Bible has to say about The Battle of the Sexes. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27. Well, can men and women live in peace with each other? The Bible's answer is, yes, of course. They were both created to express what God is like, to be in his image together, as the Bible says. But that's not how things are now. The natural posture now between men and women seems to be one of conflict. We misunderstand each other. We ignore each other. At worst, we abuse each other in a whole range of ways. Even friendship between the sexes is difficult. Marriage is tricky and often ends in tears these days. And it can seem that the old Mars and Venus thesis really has a lot going for it. This is the natural way of things. But the Bible teaches that there is a better way to be. Through the love of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, mercy and grace, even the battle between the sexes can come to an end. But for now, we can only move in that direction. Until the renewal of the creation that God has promised, we will have plenty of conflict to deal with. We're going to need to treat each other with empathy, understanding and patience. We need to learn to love across the sexes. The overwhelming direction of all Christian teaching is towards peace between people who were not naturally at peace. So the Bible talks about enemy nations becoming friends. In fact, Jesus makes a big point of urging his followers to love their enemies and to pray for them, even when they're causing grief. This is a really important part of real-life Christianity today that needs to be remembered. The Bible also talks about people in power relationships treating each other with respect as equals. This concept of peace between foes is so important in the Bible that it even applies to animals. Famously, one of the pictures of heaven that the Bible provides is a lion lying down with a lamb instead of eating it for dinner. So this general direction of scripture also applies to all relationships between men and women, whether they be husband and wife, friends or brothers and sisters. We are to move towards respect, equality before God and peace. But the ultimate peace is peace with God himself. For we were enemies with him too, until Jesus Christ provided the pathway to peace. Male or female, that's our biggest need. Mark Hadley, Russ Matthews, we have hit the peak of the show, uh, the top five. We didn't um, pick too early. We've arrived now. And we've given Russ, because he's here in for Ben this week, the challenge to pick his favourite weapon and then count it off at ten paces by bringing us his choices for the top five ultimate showdowns in cinematic history. That's a big task. Ooh, I'm, it I'm is ready a for this. huge task, and it was definitely an interesting Marlo challenge. Marlo and Otis. <laughs> no? Did they show no. off? I thought they hey, wait, wait, wait. were together. You're, you're, get, you're, getting, the, you're getting too yeah, close to the number one there. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we can look at all different... Uh, I, what I decided to do is break it down by category, because I think that was the only way I could really feasibly make it happen, was to b- break it down by category. And so the first one we're going to be looking at is cartoons and animation. So we, you can look at the honorable mentions of Wiley e. Coyote, 
Coyote and the, and the Roadrunner. Okay, you could yeah. look at uh, Aladdin and Jafar, or maybe even Scar and Simba. And Five. I've got to hit that before you go any further. Okay. It's <laughs> very important. But the the sorry, I got I got too excited about this. Anyway, so uh, so then so but the number one ultimate showdown for cartoon and animation has to be Charlie Brown and Lucy. Okay. Charlie okay. Brown and Lucy. You know, well, for me, I don't know, the rivalry kind of looking at the opportunity where Charles Schultz on a, on television was able to show the ever lovable but yet gullible um, Charlie Brown as he continued to live a hopeful existence and be able to maybe have faith that maybe Lucy would allow him to kick the football. Would one day let, would him, let him kick, kick the, football. the football. But no, it never happened. But yet that standoff would always occur. Would it happen? Would it occur? But no, it never did. So it, it still goes down to one of the best rivalries or showdowns in animated history. Four. Four would have to be sport. Okay. So we look at the different types of sport. We've been talking about it earlier with Battle of the Sexes. Look at some big things on film as far as sport. And so oh, it, yeah, like Blades of Glory. <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> I didn't make my anywhere near ball. my categories. But dodgeball. You, yeah, yeah, dodgeball, definitely. I, you can definitely see the sort of sporting guys you guys are. But anyway, so, it, so any given Sunday, maybe basketball with Hoosiers or maybe bicycling or something else like that. But Or even extreme sports. But I'm going to have to say that the number four would be, have to be Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed and Rocky. Brilliant. And okay, so look at Adrian, you know, yeah. looking at, you know, look at truly <laughs> the man sporting confronting the English language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think about it. This franchise has been going on for 40 years and seven films. And yet it still managed, even in the last film, to really still bring together mm. Rocky and Apollo. Three. Okay, number three. This is probably more in your guys' uh, realm and be in the sci-fi category. Oh, okay, so you're going to be the, the top showdown in the sci-fi category for your number three is... is no, well, you'd think maybe it would be The Matrix with Morpheus and Neo. They're or, not confronting each other. Oh, sure, they're they're the they're, they're great. That was one of the best kung fu scenes in, in, in oh, all. Okay, yeah, come okay, on. Okay, yeah. And then maybe think of James T. Kirk and Khan. Yeah. Or maybe even oh. a, a Megatron and Optimus Prime. But no, I'm going to have to actually... No one. It, no one. Is thinking Megatron and Optimus Prime. <laughs> you okay. are, come on. No, you know? <laughs> See, there's a sharp line mm. in this world. <laughs> yes. But I'm going to have to say my number three, because we're moving down that ladder, it would definitely be Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Nice. No, okay. Yeah, definitely say. No, I am. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, definitely for those of you who haven't. The, the ultimate dysfunctional family um, for three generations. This boy has not. Parodied any anybody any more classic showdown than the one between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Two. The next one actually is a tie. It's number two. It's superheroes. Okay, so you're you're going to give us your top confrontation superheroes. It's just the, the 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 top confrontation superheroes, and I would have to say you either have to go to Batman and Joker. Or Captain America and Iron Man. I'm sorry, we've got to stop the show at this point because you've made a um, an unintentional. You're a newbie. You're an unintentional. Oh, Should I hit the outro? Are well, we I done? I think so because he's almost. If you're about to mention Ben Affleck in any way, no. uh, as a positive, you realise that we can't have you back on the show. Definitely not. This would be, definitely. Don't worry. Don't worry. This Good. is actually a reference to the Dark Knight. Oh, okay. Okay, the Dark Knight, the fair. Batman. We're going to actually look at still kind of going to our. Um, you 
you know, our Heath is. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So definitely be able to look at the true Joker as far mm-hmm. as the Joker that are actually a part of it. Um, we, we'll kind of forget the last whole segment of the sure. whole Batman and Joker. I already have. But I do love the Cap- Captain America and Iron Man battle that actually occurred um, in Civil War. So I think that it's still, those are two, probably some of the best superhero confrontations. One. Okay, the final one has to be a gunfight. Has to be a gunfight. Ten paces, and what we're looking at would have to be uh, the standoff. You could think about Heat, maybe the the final battle scene in Heat, or maybe Desperado with Antonio Banderas, or maybe even True Grit. As you see, John Wayne. Uh, you, no, you can't see that. No, actually, you, can't, you, you can't actually see that. For, but, for the record, we're actually getting miming for each exactly. of these moments. Uh, Russ was John wiggling Wayne his hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, waving my hands, presuming there were guns. But it them. is the soundtrack from Sergio Leone. With the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm, and number one. It have to be the ultimate showdown. It's still... I mean, even people don't even know it, but they know that... Oh, yeah, that whole sort of... Do, yeah. Do, do. yeah, we can like, <laughs> Thank you. How about we do that for a minute? No. Said, let's not do it for a minute. <laughs> what is it about that showdown? Is it just because like you know you're getting a ticking off of people who are dying one by one? I don't one know right? what it is. It's still that song you hear. That they continually use that soundtrack in so many different films, from cartoon to everything. And then also it's the shifting eyes, looking back and forth, back and forth. There's really only a couple bullets shot. Has anybody watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly recently? Not recently, but it is a long. It is a very <laughs> long film. And could have lost an hour, and you wouldn't have known. But it's still the number one showdown of all time in film. I saw the whole thing. You killed all four of them. You'll pay all right. You'll be strung up. Who are you? Don't fire a shot. I'm John Baxter. Sheriff. Yeah. Well, if you're the sheriff, you better get these men on the ground. Yeah, I don't there know. You go. Even I feel that was a bit long. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the soundtrack. That was a very quiet scene. <laughs> That's the only thing is, is that there's really nothing to... It's kind of tough on radio. It's not big on dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it. yeah. Well, look, if you haven't seen The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, um, yeah, there's probably something well worth sitting down and um, or paint drying. That's another one. <laughs> Make a day out. Make a day out. <laughs> and day your couch. Take it with you. Yeah, go That's check right. it out. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for the big picture this week. But coming up on the show next week, your kids are going off to see Shoot 'em Up, Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Ozzy icon Jeffrey Rush in Final Portrait. And cracker comedy from the makers of Parkinson Recreation with The Good Place. We'll see you guys next week. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.